Welcome to This is Spinal Lap, a podcast on the thrilling world of motorsports, presented by your pedestrian host, Greg Mefford, only on the Ignotainment Media Network. Now, the most fantastically ordinary guy in broadcasting, Greg Mefford. Well, welcome everybody to the uh, second episode of This is Spinal Lap. I appreciate uh, all of you who took the time to like us. We got quite a few likes and uh, quite a few downloads, considering that we weren't actually up on the iTunes network, uh, nor the Stitcher network. So I'll remind you to pass along to friends and, um, and family uh, and others uh, that we are available now on the iTunes network. If you search This is Spinal App, you will find uh, episode one. And the same goes for the Stitcher uh, network uh, for the Android um, for the Android users, uh, it's available there too. You can always go to our webpage at thisisspinalapp.com uh, and uh, see the latest episodes. And of course, our Facebook page, uh, uh, also uniquely entitled "This Is Spinal App." So uh, we appreciate all that and appreciate you taking the time to uh, to to pull this one down and listen to it. You can now subscribe, so it will automatically fall into your uh, into your iTunes account or into your Stitcher account on your uh, on your devices. Um, and so, again, thank you so much. And look forward to, uh, and by all means, uh, feedback, questions, thoughts, comments, uh, anything that you think uh, could add to the show would be great. Um, we really enjoyed uh, doing it last week. And, in fact, actually so much so that we're going to bring back our distinguished uh, guest and NASCAR uh, panelist for This is Spinal Lap, Mr. Gannon Diggs. And, and Gannon... Uh, is is coming to us uh, in a very unique and comfortable spot in a parking garage somewhere in, did you say Louisville, Kentucky, is where you're at? Down, downtown Louisville. Downtown hello. Louisville, yes. So you're not, uh, yeah. hello, hello Cleveland. So you're not, uh, you're not actually, is Kentucky playing at home today to win to win the 31 uh, straight games, or are they on uh, the road? Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. All my UK all right, fans. All right, all right. Touche. I have no idea. I think we're home. I don't know. Got it. All right. Well, didn't mean to do that, but but that <laughs> just that just proves the bloodline that Gannon is actually just a NASCAR exactly guy. Exactly right. It, all that matters is Sundays. Uh, what happens any any other day of the week uh, doesn't doesn't really really matter. So, uh, but anyways, thanks Gannon for joining us again, and uh, looking forward to some. Some, some conversations today on NASCAR. So where we left it last week was we had just wrapped up sort of on the Daytona 500 and, and shared some, some common passion stories. We moved to Atlanta last week and um, a very different race than what we saw at, at Daytona, don't you think? For sure, for sure. I mean, late start and then, uh, you know, I think it makes it interesting because I'm sure the track conditions were a little bit different from practice. And qualifying, obviously, so that that kind of played into into the results. And why do you think that is? Like, what is it about those track conditions that that, that create that scenario? You know, I and again, I, I don't know for sure. I just know what I just from my experience and listening to the commentators. I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but when you have rain like that, it, it, it washes all the rubber off of the track. If I'm not mistaken, and so it, you don't have as much grip because those guys were spinning around quite a bit. Their, their Athens were spinning around. I should almost like they were on dirt. A few of them. Yeah. No, I. You heard commentary that they had, you know, some issues um, with traction. You know, one mm-hmm. one observation that I had, which which um, 
could really lead us into an interesting part of an uh, interesting conversation is you ended up having lapped cars in the, uh, and a lot of lapped cars in this in this race um, and pretty quickly. And I and I, and I think it, you know, or I'd be curious if, if that was sort of did, were you taken aback by that at all in, in, in the race or did you find that surprising? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I, I, I can't say I was too surprised by it, but it did seem. I mean, I don't know what, how long did it take before cars went down a lap. It, it was pretty quick. I want to say within a third of the race, there were more than you know, not just guys that had had mechanical and come in, like legitimately had been green flag lapped. And I know by the end of the race, or halfway through the race, they were they were catching on the thirteenth or fourteenth placed car was being lapped in that race yeah you see that that to me that always that makes it not not as exciting again i'm not trying to be debbie downer about the race but i just wasn't as impressed with it but yeah anytime you got 13 or 14 cars on the lead lap you're just kind of like what you know what's what's going on here yeah and and so so i wonder I, i mean and again this maybe goes to a broader question about nascar but i do think that the way that they've set up the rules and as limited uh, amount of time as, as certainly and, and being early in the season, perhaps that that weather really played a factor. And and this is where I think you're starting to see a have and have not in NASCAR with the, oh, abil- yeah, with the ability sure. to run up front, you know, to me, you know, having half the field get lapped re- is reminiscent of what sort of brought IndyCar um, down a little bit over the years, uh, especially at the, at yeah. the 500 where suddenly it's only a handful of guys that can really, really win the race. That, that is so true, and that's that's one of the things that, that I've always liked about NASCAR is it is competitive, but I do feel like we're still walking that fine line where, you know, put put 15, 12 to 15 drivers on a dartboard yeah. and throw a dart at those guys, and you can, it's like you're watching. You're really surprised when you see one of the non Hendrick Roush, uh, help me out here. Joe Gibbs Racing, Stuart Haas. Yeah. If you have if you have one of those drivers, that, I don't want to say it's a no namer because they're all professional and they're all the best of the best. But it it, it, it like makes headlines when someone other than Gordon Johnson, uh, Kenseth, Earnhardt, uh, I'm trying to think, Harvick. I don't know if I said him right. Wins a race. It's kind of like you know, it's always the same fifteen to twenty. I think it's like 20. It's not even the same 10 to 15 drivers. You know, you're not surprised when you see a headline that says Johnson win, Gordon wins. If you see like a Martin Truex Jr. win, you're like, oh, good. It's someone else, someone a little bit, someone on that like B level driving that wins. And, and, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say other than the fact that, yeah, I think that's putting a damper, or at least a bit on this race, the fact that you had, you, you, you got 15 or 15 drivers that are really competitive. Yeah. Instead of forty three to start the race. Right. Well. Well. No. I mean, you go a lap down. You're not coming back from that. You know. Yeah. Um, you may get that the lucky dog. I mean, right. I think so that's that drive for them a lap down. Yeah. No. 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 I mean, well, well, agreed. I mean, I mean, you can be that fourteenth lap guy with that yellow that comes out that 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 gets that lucky dog. And for those that don't know, the lucky dog in NASCAR is when a yellow is thrown, the the car the first car that's not on the lead lap is allowed to unlap himself or herself, as the case may be, and uh-huh. and get put back on the same lap 
as the leaders. And again, apologies to those that are diehards that are listening to us, but in when you go to a yellow flag in motor racing, all the cars bunch back up together. So that's a huge advantage when suddenly your car is now back on the same lap as the leaders are because a lot of things can happen and suddenly you're back in it. Um, but everybody else that's beyond the lucky dog is, is, is got a whole two miles or a mile and a half to get, to get back to the back of the field, and that's, that's quite a task, and I think that makes it really uncompetitive. Um, and here we go in sort of a, a dichotomy. You go from uh, the Daytona 500 where you had the first 18 cars or whatever finish in the same second and a half or two seconds to now a race where we got pretty spread out. Uh, you know, the winner, I think the, the winning margin was a second and a half. I think the, there was a good race for second and third, if memory serves me correctly. For all those that are listening, we are recording this actually on the Saturday uh, before the Las Vegas race. So I'm a little sketchy in my memory of the race. But, um, uh-huh. you know, it, it – and then you were spread out quite a bit, and then you had lapped cars, you know, and, and it's not good, I think, for NASCAR. No, no, I, I really do wish that – like you said, the haves and have-nots. you got teams that have, uh, I don't want to say unlimited funds, but you got the teams that have huge pocketbooks. And, and for them, uh, it, it just seems like every Sunday, on every Sunday, but most Sundays, like you said, you, you can you can bank on one of one of the 15 top drivers to win. I wish that that would be more, uh, I guess, spread out. And I don't know how they can do that. Yeah. I don't know if they... They try. If they even have tried, but to limit like okay, you can only have this much practice time, or each time on each team will call. There's only a lot of to spend this much money. You know, it's like it's like the drivers, the teams that have the the wind tunnel for practicing for the super speedways. It's like I don't think every team has access to a wind tunnel. Am, am I correct with that? Oh, there's no way. Uh, you know, I mean, a wind tunnel, wind tunnel time, let alone having your own, is incredibly expensive. I mean, let's. Exactly. You know, I mean. Formula One teams do it, but that's because their cars are worth, you know, $5 million. So, um, yeah. no, you're right. It, 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 and, and I think, again, can kind of maybe put a encapsulate, you know, Atlanta. I think that's what came out, is that when you had uh, inclement conditions and, you know, you had people that weren't familiar, were only two races into the season, aren't as familiar with their cars, they don't have all the tools available to make the adjustments, and... Um, those that do progress through the race and ended up where they needed to be, but but there are those that are just because of resource are just really really out to pasture, so to speak. So, um, to your point about the have and have not, though, and and I guess to my point about wishing that we could see some some no namers, we had uh, Brett Moffat, no clue, uh, never heard of the dude. I don't even know who he was racing for, but he finished. Was it finished top ten? It was sixth, I think. Uh, eighth, actually. I'm looking at it. Eighth. Yeah. So who do you, who do you run for? Who was he racing for? Is a Toyota car? He's in a Toyota car. Which which is a little side note to that, and I, I get I get the answer to your question. The he actually led a lap as well, too. Yeah, he got a bonus point. So, I'm, I'm looking at this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so you know what? I wonder so, I wonder if we had a pit strategy that worked for him. Mean, you and I should do a little more research, actually, since we're actually trying to podcast about this. But um, <laughs> but but we didn't know where the conversation was going, so it led us here. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, that's out of left field because when you look at everybody else, you got seasoned veterans all the way through, even if they're young, right? right. I mean, everybody in here, 
And in mix of manufacturers, because I'm looking at the whole thing, you got in the top ten, you had three Chevys, two Fords, Toyota. Well, either way, Regan Smith was up there, and I'm liking that. I'm liking the fact, but it also goes to show you got a team, uh, Haas, Sear Haas Racing. They got a lot of money. They picked this driver, and Regan's good, but you put Regan Smith in a good car, it just goes to show that how much. I hate to say this because I, I do feel like NASCAR is more competitive, and it's not just the car, it's the driver, too. But you got someone like Regan Smith, who's not a superstar, but he's now with a good team with deep pockets, and he's competitive. I've got some info for you on Moffitt. Moffitt's running in, he's a Michael Waltrip uh, development driver. So, so okay. you, you can go back, we can kind of debate the have and have not. Michael Waltrip racing is not exactly. Uh, the Wood Brothers, in terms of of its financing, but it's not quite Penske, or 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 you know, or or Haas, um, or 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 Ganassi, or um, or Hendrick, you know, um, by any stretch right. of imagination. The fact that it's, the well, fact that he has a development driver program already, I think, says enough there, right? So yeah, exactly. I uh, just a little side note too about Michael Walter. Yeah, and. I apologize to any people who are fans of Michael Walker. I like him. I I don't. I I hope he isn't like the isn't going to be in the booth the rest of the. I can't handle the way he talks. He sounds like a, a goofball, but he can, um, he can be entertaining occasionally. I mean, he you know, can not not like DW. DW is hilarious. I, when I listen to Darren Walter talk, uh, I swear it's like I'm I'm listening to someone from my hometown. Like he was saying, he was saying at Daytona. That boy came in hot, son. Like he's he's hilarious. Now, I don't know about the boogie boogie. That shit wears me out. But yeah. I like that. But Michael Waltrip, when we were at Talladega, the, the the story I told last week about the rain delays and all the drivers were really approachable, really cool. He was such a little prick. He was like over in his in a corner being all uh, snooty, if you will. And I remember um, I was at the time I was with uh, my sister's boyfriend, who was a diehard fan. Uh, again, this is a rain delay race at Talladega, my first race. And he walked up to me. He's like, Michael, you know, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Can I get your autograph? And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, being all shitty. He looked at me because I guess you want me to find something to do. like, no, I'm good. I'm good. You're an asshole. I don't need to get your autograph. Anyway, side story. Crickets. No, I think, I think, no, I, um... I will say this, you know, they, they tried to replicate what what Formula One does uh, with a little what they call pit walk on the grid at Daytona. I don't know if you saw this, and they had Michael do it, and uh, no. which was really weird because he's driving in that race too. So you know, this is really early on. Obviously, this is before we we, we have the flyover, um, and, and and he just doesn't ask the right kind of questions. You know, you need almost a seasoned pro. You need you need you know Jerry Punch or 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 um, uh, you know some of the guys that do that kind of stuff because you need to engage a driver very quickly, have a couple of conversations, move up the next row, and ask somebody else, right? And Michael was just kind of doing yeah. random things, you know. Um, and yeah. it wasn't very good. He is, he is kind of entertaining. I just think he's kind of a goofball, but he's a Kentucky boy, so I got to give him props for that. Well, there you go. There you go. So, so he gets a um, pass. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, and you know, hey, he's had a hell of a career. Um, you know, from the standpoint mm-hmm. of, of, you know, he, he sort of was a nobody, and then about, you know, whatever it was, about ten years ago, really turned it on with, you know, bringing in, winning a yep. couple of the big races, and 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 living up to the family name. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so so that kind of brings us to an interesting. You know, what I thought was interesting when we were talking last week too, is you brought up 
what we're going to now term sort of the 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 back scanner channel chatter that goes on uh, at these races. So, um, out of curiosity, did you find anything this week that that, that caught your eye as being a little little funny or weird I, or or something that's like a discussion point? I did, and I'm trying to find it again, and I can't find it again, but. It said, and I'm paraphrasing here, something about we're sick and tired here about Danica. Stop shoving her down, our, stop shoving her skanky ass down our throat. <laughs> so it's fantastic. And then someone else came back in and said, "Stop being so sexist, you pig." And then the other person came by. Just the chatter between these people is—it's fantastic. So I, I can't find it. I'm looking for it now, and I can't find it. So were you on the Harvard blog, or is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The alumni network, yeah, maybe is the mountain, the Mountain Dew Swim Truck Network. <laughs> um, well, the Corona um, Baby Food. Yeah, I, 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 anybody that that uses uses that sort of language, I think, automatically sort of disqualifies themselves from making an intellectual or an intelligent statement. I think, but yes, I um, agree. I like I like Danica. I do. I think I think that. Uh, she is in a man's sport, and, and yes, she does have a good team, uh, Stuart Haas Racing, but she's competitive. I mean, she is not just out there for glitz and glamour. I mean, it is good for the sport. I think it opens up a little bit bigger audience, but um, I like her. I think she. I think she's a good driver. I do, and I think, I hope that we'll see her win this year. I don't know, but um, I think she's got what it takes. I know that there was kind of all over the place here, but I remember Richard Petty made a comment, I think it was last year, that kind of stirred up some stuff. Um, it was before Daytona last year, Richard Petty made some sexist comment, um, and it seemed like uh, the fans kind of rallied behind her. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't hurt the fact that, yes, it is good for the sport. She is an attractive female, so Correct. obviously that, that, that makes for good TV. But it's not like... It's not like... Um, Every race, they'll tell you where Danica finishes, you know, on ESPN. Yeah. Um, well, I, feel, I don't know how long, how, how long, go ahead. Go I ahead. don't know, but no, I think you're right. I felt like last year, um, I felt like last year there was a lot of like, and it's similar to like the way the golf thing used to be, and it still is with Tiger Woods. It, it, as, yeah. as, as poor as he plays now. St- they still need to tell you where Tiger Woods is, and you don't want to know these eighty sixth now in the in the thing. And I felt like last year when when Danica was racing, there was always sort of like here's the top ten, and Danica's nineteenth, and here's the top ten, and yep. Danica's eighteenth. And I know why they're doing it commercially, or whatever. And it's not, and and I'm and and I'll share with you my thoughts on Danica because I've seen her from very early on in her career. Um, sure, sure, you've watched uh, her. Yeah, no, I, and and um, but. So I do. Whereas I think this year, I think she is just a driver, you know. And if she's in the mix, um, and and in the top ten, I think she's going to garner a lot of attention, as you should, because you're in the top ten of forty three cars, um, which is a f- fantastic thing. The flip thing that, or, or not really flip, but but as an addendum to what you said, you know, this is the only sport, and that being motorsport, where females and males actually compete against one another. There is no sure. other. There is no other professional sport where that's the case. So, so to the point you make about her being in a man's world, she is, and she's actually. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, it, she, it's a fair gunfight 
with what's going on. And and I think that makes it really compelling, which would naturally draw attention, you know, to the situation. And add now an extra layer as opposed to where she was before in IndyCar, and I'll get to that in a second. You add the layer of of that she's in very much sort of a more traditional man's world, and that being NASCAR, you know, it's it's pretty impressive that she's holding her own as well as she has because when you look at her statistics, and I don't have them, and I didn't, you know, I do no show prep, so it doesn't matter. Um, but I'm 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 pretty sure that she ranks in the top 25 to top 20, perhaps, in points. And there's a lot of guys that are behind her, point wise, that I think some of the Harvard educated people, like you just read, uh, who hosted that blog, uh-huh. would 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 just, you know, shout from from. The, the Blue Hills of Kentucky that, that, you know, she's the worst driver in NASCAR. And you'd be surprised some guys that aren't as competitive or aren't consistent as, as she is uh, that are in that field that you'd be like, okay, you need to be careful what you wish for here because she's better than mm-hmm. you know, 15, 20 guys statistically. Um, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and, you know, you never know. She might, she might, she might go over there. Not to sort of monopolize this conversation, but um, one of the more memorable moments in the Indianapolis 500 that I've been to um, that comes to mind is when she made that pass for the lead and led the Indianapolis 500 for 20, 25 laps. I mean, it was, you want to talk about the place going nuts, you know, uh, which was a first ever in motorsport history that a woman, um, uh, well, first in Indianapolis uh, motorsport history, that a woman led the race other than like a one lap deal because of pits. Like she legitimately, and and had there, had there been more yeah. gas in the tank, she might have won the darn thing, um, you know. But it was, mm-hmm. ended up being a fuel strategy thing, and it, it didn't work out for. Her. Um, yeah. But but she, you know, she broke in there. She can drive. I mean, a lot of people. And again, this is you know, I, I I'm full disclosure. I'm not. Um, I don't work for Danica Patrick Racing. I you know I, 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 I I'm I'm not sponsored by it. Uh, GoDaddy's not a sponsor of this show yet. Although GoDaddy, if you'd like to sponsor this show, feel free to contact us at AskFinalApp.com. <laughs> the the um, she um, she she has a you know she did not just decide to one day, you know what I'm not going to do the you know I'm not going to do um, I'm not going to go to college I'm not going to do this I'm going to go race right. She from like age twelve or fourteen. She went over to Europe and raced for three or four years in Europe in the Formula Series over there before she came to IndyCar. So I mean, she's I gone through. That. Oh yeah, no, no, no. So you know. Uh, you probably again. Let's go back to the Harvard-educated uh, person who made the comment on the blog you read. You know, he'd probably give you that. Well, you know, uh, she didn't do no dirt track racing, and you know, she she she, she didn't race. <laughs> she didn't over there. Yeah, she, she didn't learn her stripes. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She did. She didn't race against the the Wallaces out of Peebley, you know. And so, uh, no, she she didn't race dirt. But I tell you what, she ran up against uh, Italians and Brazilians and Brits and Frenchmen. Uh, cutting her teeth in Europe, where it's a lot more cutthroat and it's a bigger business than it is over here. And um, she, she she came to IndyCar a very skilled driver, um, and and proved to be that. And you know, I think Cup's hard. Um, and and I think for open wheelers, and and this is you and I have actually off off air have talked about this. I think one one interesting conversation at some point is this whole the whole open wheeler versus uh, closed top driving. So stock car driving has been tough. She's done all right. I mean, she really had, for two yeah. years into her career. Let's let's take a look at how Tony Stewart did in his first two years at NASCAR, and I guarantee. Exactly. In fact, maybe that's what I'll do this week. Is let's let's kind of go. You know, the first um, uh, let's see the first seventy two races of Tony's career. Let's compare it to what 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 Danica has done. 
I'm going to guess Tony's a little bit better, but I don't think you're going to be like, holy shit, yeah, you know, it's just, it's not comparable, you know? Right. Um, very few I guys. Pull, I just pulled it up. She, she's 16th right now on the points. There you go. So she's in the top 20 in the points. There you go. And, and, and she kind of was in it. She was in the top 25 most, most of last year. She kind of fell out late, but um, as mm-hmm. I recall. But, but, you know, but I think if you line up the first couple of years in, in Cup, very few guys do what Gordon did, you know, um, or – um, some of these younger, you know, cats have done. Keselowski's probably gotten off to a pretty good start right out of the box, too. But um, that's pretty rare. Most of them take a few years to kind of, you know, to, to let it sink in. You know, Har- Harvick, Harvick showed up with a lot uh, and, and admittedly a lot of pressure on him because he drove the three car. But um, right. it took him a long time to, find, you know, settle in and become, you know, the 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 the, the, the potentially Hall of Fame type driver that he is today. It, you know? it did. And, you know, what looks funny with Harvick. Um, is that he had a he had a really big fan base when he started his Cup career, and I think it was just your I think your Earnhardt fans, your Earnhardt senior fans. My, I'm speaking myself. Yeah. You, you, you went to two different after Earnhardt died at Daytona. You went to two different. You either went to Junior or you went to Harvick, and so he had a pretty big fan base uh, that his first season. I think it was probably because they were thinking it was our heart's team and he, he's carrying the torch. So what he won, did he win his first race or second race? Um, it was Atlanta, correct? That so he won when he took over from, from uh, our, on our heart's team. That might be. Senior I'm talking about. Keep talking. I'm going to pull it up here. I think, I just remember it was being really emotional, like when he won and he pulled, he pulled it off. It was like a, a drag strip finish. I think it was Atlanta. which was his first race with the Earnhardt team. Um, and who was the other dude? Um, he ran then the following race, the guy who ran the Penske car that was owned by Earnhardt racing. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but I remember it was neat that after Earnhardt passed, you had Harvick within the next couple races. You had his team, which was driven by Harvick one. And then the following race, you had an Earnhardt Incorporated car one. And I can't think of his name. It was a Penske car. It was a yellow car. You may remember the guy's name. He's not in racing, or at least he's not in cup anymore. Um, again, I don't know where I was yep. going with that. Other than the fact but, by the way, um, um, you're right. He uh, It's 01. He did not run Daytona, obviously, because mm-hmm. uh, that's where Dale passed. Then he finished 14th. In C-A-R. Where would that have been? Charlotte. Okay, sorry. Dumbass. So, uh, he used to go to Charlotte right afterwards. Okay, so he finished 14th in Charlotte, 8th in Las Vegas, and then 1st in Atlanta. So, you're right. It was three. It was his third race in in that seat, which is mm-hmm. – and that's what it was, too. It was his third, you know, his third race. Yeah. He's driving a three-car. I remember, I remember it. I remember it being, you know, and I, and I wasn't in the U.S. at the time, but I do remember them making a big deal about that. Yeah. I just thought of something too. Um, you're talking about uh, uh, last year. You always knew where Danica finished. If uh, for some of these old diehard fans, yeah. do you remember Dick Trickle? Dick Trickle. Oh, absolutely. How can you forget that name? I know what a what a terrible name. But yeah. Sports that are always always told you where, where Dick Trickle finished, <laughs> and I always thought that was so funny. It would be like you know, Earnhardt wins at uh, the Brickyard, and Dick Trickle finished 38. <laughs> It was like all, <laughs> always well, mentioned. And, and
and that's the, bit that's the area of when Berman used to do Sports Center though, because you know that's yeah, that, that's exactly. where he that's where he would come up with those great you know you know Bert be home yeah. by eleven and things like that you know as the pitcher yeah. or whatever right yeah. he, he, yeah. no I agree I remember what you're saying now it was um yeah the best name in in, in NASCAR Dick Turco which reminds me of something I mean way off topic but but on on the racing topic one of my favorite commercials when they first started doing them and they're still really funny where they do those. ESPN commercials with the athletes, you know, that are in the office. Yeah. And stuff. But one of yeah. my favorites was that ride around with Dale Earnhardt with the, you know, with, with, with the, they, they had him driving and, and two guys in the car and his dog or whatever, and they're having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was yeah. early, you know, they weren't as sophisticated as they are now, but I thought that was just great. You know, it was great PR yeah. for NASCAR at the time. And just funny as hell, you know, uh, with those guys sitting in the car or allegedly sitting in the car, you know, trying to have a conversation with them, you know, like driving to work or whatever, so. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that was a good, good stuff. That was a good. You know, one of the things that, that I saw, um, and I've seen this happen a couple of times, and I've got a, a very sort of incredibly frustrating story about exactly this, was this competition yellow uh, that they decided to, 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 to mandate at, at lap 25. I, I don't know, Gannon, where you are on those things, but do, do you, does that make sense to you at all? It, no, I don't, other than... I, I, I guess I guess they're doing it to, to group the field back up. It would be my and I haven't done. I, I, it's one of those things where I know they have them, but I really never have been like, well, why do they do that? And then me just deductive reasoning. I'm thinking, well, maybe they're just doing it too because the field gets too spread out and it's not as entertaining. So we're gonna have a 25 lap caution to, to group the field back up. Well, and I don't even know if that's right. Well, I no, I, I I think that's the intent. Mm-hmm. However, that's sort of not what they say. What they try to say is that, per what we were sort of talking about earlier with tire wear, and Atlanta is notorious for it, is because they had a clean track, and because obviously the track was going to eat into the tires because it was cleaner with less rubber into it more, mm-hmm. they're worried about tire wear, and they want to give everybody a fair shot and keep the race safe. So calling them all back in at lap 25, uh to allow them to come change tires and take a look at where they're at and and so forth and so on with the rubber. That's what they say. Um, well, this... Okay. No, no, go ahead. I mean, th- throw it... I'm looking at comments. I, I Googled why, and uh, again, what do we call it? Back channel yeah. comments? Yeah, the, the back scanner um, chatter. Bob Rockass says, <laughs> y'all need to run with your brung and put it under green. So he does not like the 25-lap competition. That's from Bob Rockass. Well, Bob Rockass actually might be Harvard-educated because he agrees with me. Run what you brung. Yeah. Shit. Right. No, no, no. I, 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 I do not disagree with that. And, in fact, actually, um, I might not have put it that way as Bob Rockass did, but <laughs> I would say that... I think that you 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 have world to, to the point you made earlier in the in 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 our in our conversations. You know these are world class drivers and mm-hmm. world class mechanics and world class engineers, and uh, God knows Goodyear spends a lot of dough on the tires. Yeah. Great. So 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 and and they can do simulations and they do. And know what's going to happen. They can give the teams all the advice in the world, and a team can decide that 
in my mind, they should just be allowed to, to, to again, uh, you know, uh, in, in the infamous words of Bob Rockass, run what you brung, because if you're going to run it and, and, and it blows up uh, at, on lap 27, then that was the risk you took. But if it holds out for 37 laps where everybody else pits at lap 25, God bless you. It's mm-hmm. a better strategy, right? It's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, it's like going to the four corners back when you could do that and run the clock out in basketball. And, and it's just a strategy you can employ or you can, you know, or you can run with the herd. And, and so, um, I mean, I get the safety thing. And, 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 and the bitterness in me on this, um, and, and again, just so I can throw it, you know, get it working into the podcast one more time, Bob Rockass might agree with me, is I was at the debacle. I was at two debacles. Um, one of them involved NASCAR, and it was on the back end of the first debacle. I was at the Formula One race in Indianapolis when they had the exact same problem. Where they had a massive problem with Michelin tires. The Firestone tires worked fine because, uh, not to digress from our NASCAR conversations, but the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uses both when when they do what they call their circuit racing. Um, where they don't use the full oval, so when the MotoGP guys show up and the IndyCar guys show up, or not IndyCar, sorry, uh, um, uh, Formula One guys used to show up and run the infield race course, they reuse part of the, the oval, which is what's called diamond cut, and it really is. I mean, it's an amazing surface. And then the infield course is straight, straight pavement, so it really does create a very diverse set of um, uh, adhesion problems for the cars. And that one year, for whatever reason, the Michelin tires wouldn't hold up for more than like six or eight laps. And so Michelin told all the teams, we don't have enough tires to supply you enough to get through the race. And so the teams decided not to race. And so we had six cars roll out. We had them all roll out onto the grid so they could all claim they started the race. And on the parade lap uh, of the 18 cars that started the race, on the parade lap, uh, 10 of no, uh, 12 of them pulled into the pits and parked it. And they took the green flag with six cars out there, two of them Ferraris, so you knew exactly what happened. And the other two were like, the other four were back markers. So it was a good race in the end, but, you know, the Ferraris, it was a joke. Michael Schumacher wins the race. So, so because of that, you had this time. Then that, and about two years later, NASCAR goes to Indy, and I think they had just reground the, the speedway, and there's a problem with the tires. So every 25 laps of, those, of that 200-lap race that day, or it's a 400, so it's 175 laps, I guess, or whatever, they they stopped for a competition yellow, and this was you know a four hundred mile race. It was it was retarded. Yeah, that, you that just sat and watched twenty five lap sprint races, and really you didn't even do that because what happened is they raced in the pits, they raced hard for about two laps, and then everybody settled in and said, well we're going to pit in you know twenty laps, and it was mm-hmm. horrible. So I, I from that point forward I said I'm not renewing my and I to that point I've been going almost all of the brickyard since two thousand and four, and I think that was in '08 when that happened. I'm like I I'm not yeah. buying, I'm not buying tickets anymore because this is this is this is stupid. This is, you know, sure. I, I could go watch sprint car racing for five bucks and watch 20 lap, you know, races as opposed to what I'm seeing here. Sure. You know, it's a joke. Sure. Um, sure. But it's the same thing, you know. And so, again, so I can work this one more time into the podcast. Bob Rockass is right because, you know, y- y- these guys need to, you know, figure it out. And part of racing is being on that edge. And if that edge is figuring out if that if that tire has 30 or 35 laps in it, or if your driver can figure out how to not, uh, rub, you know, create uh, uh, less adhesion on the tires and not rub as much rubber off of it before the tire expires, then God bless them. You know, put it put in the hands right. of the guy sitting in the seat. 
um, and, yeah. and the guys, the engineers, and adjusting how the tire wear. So maybe the car's not real fast in lap, you know, one through eighteen. But when everybody else can't drive their car anymore, and your guy can, and he goes ten more laps, and you, you win. Exactly. Yeah. And that that was to, to that point, I guess, a little bit to that point. Because I don't know if you watched, they showed Jimmy Johnson, which Jimmy Johnson won. Yeah. But they showed his performance from the beginning to the end, and he was, it's, he's notorious for doing this, he always, his car improves as the race goes on. There's Chad Knauss, the, the, the yeah. crew chief for, for Jimmy yeah. Johnson. Yeah, they just have that special sauce. That special sauce. They can figure out the track. They can figure out the conditions. They can figure out the car setup as the as the race goes on. Because yeah, he was a stellar in the beginning. He was still top fifteen driver, I think. But to watch his performance, he just he was getting better while a lot of these other cars were getting worse. And I think that's just a true test to strategy. And, and, and the best guy wins. The guy that figures it out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it comes back to our have and have-nots a little bit. Because he's a have, they can figure out how to do that because they've got all those tools to do it. But at the same time, you got to have the skill to, which is really what you're make, the point you're making. And, sure, and, and, sure. and which is why he's Mr. Consistency. I mean, which is, hell, in yep. some reasons, why they changed the way the rules are, you know, at the end of the year uh, for the chase because they didn't want to have, you know, the same guy winning again and again, although I think he's proven that he's now mastered the new system. So, um, yeah. but no, you're right. I couldn't agree with you more, Gannon, actually. Well, we're running out of time. We'd like to keep uh, you know this this show um, as topical and interesting as we can, but at the same time, not uh, not 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 uh, beat a dead horse uh, to death. So, with that in mind, and coming up on on uh, on our time limits, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap this uh, for episode number two, the historic episode number two of uh, this is Spinal App. Gannon, thank you so much for joining us again. And uh, thank you for uh, having me. I appreciate it. You know, hopefully, you know, you have not been um, arrested uh, in the parking lot there in in Louisville yet. At this point, I'm or, getting I'm, I'm getting some weird looks, but other than that, I'm all I'm all good. All right. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we survived that. So again, I appreciate you uh, you toughing that one out. And we will have Gannon on again next week uh, because there is no other motor racing uh, uh, between now and then, other than. Uh, what's going on in the world of NASCAR. So we'll talk uh, a little more about um, about Las Vegas, and hopefully we'll have... Yeah, going to, yeah. Going to the, the Vegas this weekend, right? Yeah, that's right. They'll be, they'll be, they'll be, uh, they're in Sin City. Um, running, raw, running raw dog in Vegas. You got it, right. you got it right. You got it right. And hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> uh, Gannon will be able to come up with some more comments from Bob Rockass. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do some research. Yes, for that, sure. That would be good. I think I think uh, the 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 spinal lap heads would would enjoy that very much. So with that, I'm gonna say adios and thank you all so much for uh, joining us on episode number two. We'll we'll catch you on episode number three. Bye bye. This is Spinal Lap with Greg Mefford only on the Ignotainment Media Network. Visit our website at www.spinallap.com. Follow us on Twitter at Spinal Lab or on Facebook at This Is Spinal Lab. Only on the Ignotainment Media Network.